Welcome to Head, Heart, and Hands, the teaching fellowship of Bob Carter, pastor of River City Reformed Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. The Bible teaches that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. We want to help you do just that. First, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a call to our heads. God wants us to think and to think correctly. Second, the gospel is also a call to our hearts. We are to love God and to love what God loves. And the gospel is a call to our hands, to action, real change and transformation. Now let's join our teacher, Bob Carter, for today's challenging message. The sermon this morning is entitled, God Can Save You From Himself and From Yourself. We see many examples of this in Scripture, and we'll be seeing one this morning in 1 Samuel 29. That's where we are in the preaching of 1 Samuel as we've been preaching through this and studying through this book. Almost to finish the book of 1 Samuel. We are reminded in the New Testament and in the Old Testament there are calls to us to be on the alert, to be mindful. 1 Samuel 27, and then especially 29, is an example of David not being quite on the alert. And I bring that to your attention again because we have talked about that 1 Samuel juxtaposes King Saul and King David. And they have many similarities and many differences, but they have a huge distinction. And the huge distinction is that David is a lover of God, and King Saul is not. King Saul does some good things, accomplishes some great things for the nation of Israel. But he demonstrates again and again that he is not a lover of God. He is not holding all things in the palm of his hand, desiring the glory of God. It is not King Saul's orientation to join God in God's most right God-centeredness. But it is King David's. It is King David's desire that God's will be done. Both of them show flaws, but God continues to grant mercy to King David, granting him repentance unto life. And he is wonderfully repentant in his times of difficulty. Look at your bulletin on the front of the very bulletin. It says, the middle of the page there, a Charles Spurgeon quote, That demon of pride was born with us, and it will not die one hour before us. We see that in our own lives, and we can see it more easily in the lives of others. And we can certainly see in the lives of the saints who have gone before us for the most part. We see foolishness that continues in us, and we see the sovereignty of God over that, saving us from ourselves once he has saved us from himself through the mercy and blood of Christ. And then Arthur Pink says, It is not the absence of sin, but the grieving over it. And by grieving over it, Matthew Mead acknowledges it isn't tears that indicate grief. King Saul sheds some tears. But genuine repentance, contrition that God grants, godly sorrow, it's called by the Apostle Paul. It is not the absence of sin, but the grieving over it, which distinguishes the child of God from empty professors. Will you stand to honor the reading of God's word as we turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel 29? 1 Samuel 29. Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek while the Israelites were camping by the spring which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were proceeding on by hundreds and by thousands. And David and his men were proceeding on in the rear with Achish. Then the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, who has been with me these days? or rather, these years. And I have found no fault in him from the day he deserted to me to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Make the man go back, that he may return to his place where you have assigned him, and do not let him go down to battle with us, or in the battle he may become an adversary to us. For with what could this man make himself acceptable to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of these men? Is this not David, of whom they sang, 
in the dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been upright, and you're going out, and you're coming in with me in the army, are pleasing in my sight, for I have not found evil in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, you are not pleasing in the sight of the Lord's. Now therefore return, and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. David said to Achish, But what have I done? And what have you found in your servant from the day when I came before you to this day, that I might not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? But Achish replied to David, I know that you are pleasing in my sight, like an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He must not go up with us to the battle. Now then arise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who have come with you, and as soon as you have arisen early in the morning and have light, depart. So David arose early, he and his men, to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Will you pray with me, please? God, we do praise you and thank you for this opportunity of hearing your word. And now to hear your word preached, God, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and grant the supernatural grace of your power and presence and blessing of your anointing, that we might receive it with authority, with power, that it would not return to you void without accomplishing the matter for which you sent it. God, each of us comes before you this morning with great gaping wounds in our souls. And we appeal to you to take this, your word, and apply the balm of Gilead to our souls that we might be healed, that your fruit and your gifts would well up in us in abundance, that we might walk with you in joy and gladness and in obedience. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In your bulletin under the sermon title there, there is a quote from Goethe who says, The shudder of awe is mankind's highest faculty. The shudder of awe is mankind's highest faculty. He's describing in a somewhat secular way the reality of genuine worship, of coming to understand more and more who God is. And when we grow up in the church, or when we first come to the church, we hear about the nature of who God is and what he does, and what he's about, and we have some sense of awe about that. And as we walk with him more and more, two things can happen. We can have a greater and greater understanding of who he is, or we can begin to grow a little bit cold, having some sense that we already think we know who he is. But God comes into our life again and again and shows us the remarkable reality of his perfections, of which the greatest being his relationship that he grants with us and his grace that he grants with us regarding Christ and his salvation. And as we make our way down the pilgrim's path, we see more and more clearly our great need of our great Savior. And we become to be more and more in awe of the perfections of God. We realize that indeed he is that being than which nothing greater can be conceived. And David is finding that out in this passage. Now, I do want to encourage you as we look at this passage this morning that you have to do something very important, very hard to do, and that is read this passage as it is occurring. Because we know King David is a man after God's own heart, and we know the big picture of King David, our tendency is to take what we know about King David being very positive for the most part, being a child of God and a very good king, and come back and then retell the story. But that's not what's taking place in this passage, in this chapter. David is having one of the low points of his life in this chapter. And the glory of God is being trampled underfoot by King David in this chapter, in this time of his life. And we need to understand that children of God can have low points in their life, but the God of the universe can not only save us from himself, He can save us from ourselves as well. And he steps in in his perfect sovereignty and saves David from himself in this passage. And how glorious that is, that God would step in 
and save us from ourselves. As you make your way down the pilgrim's path, we must constantly be reminded that we are not persevering in our own strength. As you are here this morning, you are not persevering in your own strength. You recall perseverance of the saints is that last part of the tulip. Tulip meaning total depravity. Everything we do is mixed with sin in some manner. Unmerited election, unconditional election. We come to God by His electing, by His choosing, and there was nothing in us that caught His eye. Unconditional or unmerited election. Limited atonement. Christ died for His people, and not for the whole world, but for His people. If Christ died for the whole world, the whole world would be saved. The eye in tulip is irresistible grace. If He calls you, you will not be able to resist. If He calls you, you will not be able to resist. And the P is if He calls you, He will continue to hold you by the hand all the way to glory, perseverance of the saints. He Himself calls you. He Himself provides salvation. He Himself holds you by the hand and He Himself receives you to glory. It is indeed what we call a monergistic work and God received rightly all the glory. But we ourselves, if we are honest, can see ourselves in this passage There are times, there are moments, there are days, there are weeks and seasons in the life of believers in which we wander away from the worship and the glory of God and of earnestly desiring. We give up from time to time on the promises of God for a day or for a week or for a season. We don't announce it at that, but we live our lives in that manner. And King David is doing that in this situation. Look at verse 1, chapter 29, verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, while the Israelites were camping by the spring, which is in Jezreel, two very near places. They can certainly see the campfires of each other. They could probably see each other, but they can certainly see the campfires of each other. This is a huge war that's about to happen. And that's how this starts out. But David has found himself in a remarkably difficult position because he has gone over and has served Quite some time, we're told. You remember, we just read it. He is, uh, the king Akish is describing to the other kings. Remember, there are five kings in Philistia. He's describing to the other kings how faithful David has been. And he uses the word years. David has been there quite some time. And during this period of time, there's no record in this portion of scripture that David is crying out to be delivered. It is a very dark time in the life of King David. But there's a battle that's about to happen. And so, this is a battle between the Philistines and the very people of David. David, who has been anointed the king of Israel. And at this point, David appears quite willing, quite ready to go into battle with them. Very evidently in this passage. David is in the wrong place. He is in a self-induced quagmire. He is reaping what he has sown. And there is seemingly no way out. He is geared for battle and ready for battle to go against his own people over whom he's been anointed as king. God is going to bring to pass his sovereign will. And so he does. But we want to notice in this chapter, and you'll see it from beginning to end, there is no place in which David turns aside and cries out to God for the deliverance. And there are many places in which God records David crying out to God for deliverance in various ways. And many of the Psalms are just that, including Psalm 18 and Psalms 2 through 9. Many of them are just that. David finds himself in a very difficult position and asking God to save him. And that does not appear to be the case here. And yet God, in his mercy, who has begun a good work in David, will complete it. In our passage here in verses 3 through 5, we see that the commanders of the Philistines come together and say, no, we know who this man is, that he has been a great warrior under King Saul, and he has slain his thousands, and when he has slain his ten thousands, they quote him, he means, the lords of the Philistines mean us. That's who he's been battling against. It's been us, and he could go into battle now, and he might turn back again toward King Saul. We don't know. It's entirely possible, and that's what's taking place here. But it is the sovereignty of God that causes the lords of the Philistines to reject David. It is the sovereignty of God. He himself has put himself by foolishness in a wrong place at the wrong time. And he's been in the wrong place for a long time. 
But the God of the universe is holding him by the hand. The God of the universe is holding him by the hand. And the hearts of the lords of the Philistines are in God's hand. And he can turn him wherever he will like a channel of water. And he turns the Lord to the Philistines against them that David might not go out against his own people over whom he's been anointed as king. God is saving David from himself. And David is learning the lesson. He will learn the lesson that he is not persevering in his own strength, but by the grace of God. And in verse 8, he actually pushes back. Look at it again. David said to Achish, But what have I done? And what have you found in your servant from the day when I came before you this day, that I might not go out and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? There is no hint here or elsewhere in the scriptures that David is deceiving Achish. There is no hint that that's what he's saying, but he doesn't really mean it. Everything from this passage in the present tense indicates David is very willing to go out and battle in this situation. What's taking place here? Go back to chapter 27. Chapter 27, Then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. David has gone into a moment, a season, an extended season of despair here, that the precious promises of God are not coming to pass. And he has found himself now by his own doing in the wrong place at the wrong time and in the wrong place for a long time. And the results are grievous now. But the reality is, even though he pushes back, God will not have it. God continues here of bringing the Lord's insistent that he not be a part of the battle. And so God's sovereignty prevails in this situation. And at the end of the passage, verse 11, David arose early. He and his men to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Why is this here? It is to help us see what a child of God does look like in this life. There is a tendency among us to think that the saints who went before us, especially those that we know like King David, our tendency is to only think of that one little Bathsheba incident. But everything else we know about David is good, good, good. David is a wonderful saint of God, and I am delighted of how he glorifies God in his life, and I am delighted that the Holy Spirit shows us the ongoing difficulty and the weakness of his flesh. We see that King David is weak and given to moments and seasons in his life of difficulty. He has great difficulty here, and God shows us this. And you've had difficulties in your life. You've had seasons in your life in which you drifted away in some manner. As I said, it may not have involved that you stopped attending church, although it may well have been that as well. You may have been attending church, and yet you were not close to God at all. Your prayers and your devotions ceased virtually altogether, or certainly became rote. But the God of the universe holds us by the hand. The God of the universe, once he has begun a work in us, will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. And that's what he's doing here. And we're seeing it, and we ourselves can be encouraged. King David is not persevering in his own strength. And you have not been persevering in your own strength. It is God himself who strengthens us to continue to walk in the pilgrim's path. It is God himself who fights off our enemies and fights against us when we become our own enemy. What should have happened? Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, a passage that most of you will be familiar with. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is a passage in which it describes a number of times in which the children of Israel were not faithful to God. And it's an exhortation to saints that they take a lesson from that. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 it says this, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to bear it. That we cry out to him and ask for that opportunity of escape. What is the situation that we find ourselves in to cry out to God with this promise in our hands that you, God, have promised that you will make a way of escape. 
I don't know how to do it here. I've gotten myself in a difficult situation, but I'm pleading with you. Or I'm in a difficult situation, whether I did it or not. I'm in a difficult situation. I'm pleading with you to come and to bring glory to your name and to deliver me. How does Psalm 119 end? Turn your Bibles again to look at that and see when you think of Psalm 119, all you think about is King David saying, I will, and how great your law is, and I love your law, and your law is wonderful, and I'm so thankful for your statutes and your ordinances, and I love it, I love it, I love it. And it ends with these words, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Psalm 119 ends, a psalm of David. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. I know who you are, God. And I know what I'm doing and where I am. And I'm asking you, God, to come looking for me. And that's what God does in 1 Samuel 29. He comes looking for David and gets him out of a very tight spot. Praise his holy name. When we think of the fluctuations and the vicissitudes of Christians and of our own lives, we always come back to look to the second Adam, the Lord Christ. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. The second Adam, the Lord Christ, has no vicissitudes. He has no fluctuations. He sets his face like flint. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And he comes and he is faithful to the very end. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 32. They came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and began to be very distressed and troubled. King David, in 1 Samuel 27, was very distressed and very troubled. But he took matters into his own hands, and he fled to the Philistines. But the Lord Christ knows better than the gathering demoniac that when you're wrestling with God, the only direction is to flee to God. The only direction is to flee to God. He was distressed and troubled, and he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. God had called David to just such a prayer. Remove Saul from me, but not what I will, what you will. If you want me to die by King Saul's hand, and that will bring glory to you, then let me die by King Saul's hand. If it will glorify you to deliver me from King Saul, as you have in the past, then continue to deliver me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Verse 37, And he came and found them sleeping and said, Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's asking them to pray for themselves. They don't know that they themselves are about to come into an hour of temptation. For as soon as the Lord Christ is arrested, they all scatter. They don't even know, but but he knows. He knows that we ourselves need to be close to the shepherd at all times, in prayer and in biblical faith and hope. Christ perseveres on our behalf here in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Christ perseveres on the cross on our behalf. And he causes us to persevere. But not everyone perseveres because God doesn't cause everyone to persevere. Mark chapter 14 again in verse 26. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. 
And the rest of that passage goes on and describes it in some detail, beginning again at verse 66 and following. You can read it later. But what does God do with Peter? God, listen, God grants Peter repentance. And Peter grieves and comes back to God and cries out for forgiveness and God grants it to him. And simultaneously, there is no repentance given to Judas. They're both at the same meal. They're both right there when he says, one of you will betray me. They're both there when he says, all of you are going to, well, Peter's there when they all says, one of you, you're going to be all scattered. And Peter says, no, not me. But God grants Peter repentance. God grants David repentance. And no repentance comes to King Saul. And no repentance comes to Judah. Repentance is a saving grace wrought in the heart of a sinner by the Spirit and Word of God. Repentance is a saving grace. God grants it to Peter and he passes over the head of Judas. He grants it to King David and he passes over the head of King Saul. If you think you have repentance unto life, it is an awesome thing. Your own life tells you again and again and again that were it up to you, you would have lost it already. If you could lose your salvation, John MacArthur says, you would. Look to John chapter 10 now, this familiar passage. John chapter 10, as we see the goodness and the faithfulness of the good shepherd, Lord Christ, over his sheep. Judas and King Saul proved to not be his sheep. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 24. Then the Jews gathered around him, and they were saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What a beautiful reality of his faithfulness and his faithfulness to us. That he who began a good work in us will complete it. But we should never lose sight of the fact that he is the one who began it. And he is the one who is sustaining it. And he is the one who will complete it. Yet we have self-inflicted wounds quite often in our lives. We often find ourselves with self-inflicted wounds as well as the wounds of others. In your bulletin here, I've put this remarkable poem again. I've said it before you before. Amy Carmichael, missionary. She wrote this, if you recall. Some of you know the story behind this. She was in India at the time. A mission, a, a preacher came through from England who preached that if you love God, everything will go well, well, well with you. If you love God, everything will go well, well, well. And he described his relationship with God as just great. Everything's just great, great, great. Always has been. Never been anything other than great, great, great. And when he left, she wrote this poem in her diary. Because that had not been the case for her. She had been sorely persecuted by many people. Laughed at. Rejected. And she had seen into her own heart on many occasions darkness and apostasy, and atheism, and coldness of heart. And her road had been rough. And so she wrote into her diary about this man, Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar, on foot, or side, or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers, spent, leaned me against a tree to die. 
and rent thy ravening beast that encompassed me. I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound or scar? When you follow close to God and draw near to him, you step right into the crosshairs of the evil one. And it can come from without and it can come from within. And those who have walked a while with God down the pilgrim's path and read in his word, see that. And just as Thomas Brooks says that a dove trembles at a hawk's feather, the very sight of a hawk's feather, Christians who know themselves know they must stay close to the Savior, must stay close to the shepherd. And they recognize that if they're going to persevere, it will be God who gets all the glory. It will be God who causes them to persevere. And when they, like Mr. Honest, arrive at the River Jordan, their final words will be grace reigns. David's final words surely were grace reigns as he looks back over his life and sees what has happened to him again and again. The Apostle Peter not only has that difficulty, but later in Galatians 2, turn your Bibles to Galatians, he has another difficulty of a theological nature. And the Apostle Paul must come and set him straight. Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is the Apostle Paul saying that he is opposing another apostle to his face. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? It clarifies that we are indeed saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and not through the works of the law. And Peter, who had understood that, fell into some confusion about that, openly, significantly, and was leading other people in that regard. And God mercifully saved him from himself again, this time by the rebuke of another apostle. God can save us from himself through the personal work of Jesus Christ and the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit melting our hearts from stone to flesh. And God can save us from others like Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And God can save us from ourselves. Philippians says this, that familiar passage. Philippians chapter 1 says this, I thank my God. Where is Paul? As he's thanking his God, he's in prison as he writes this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it unto the day of Christ Jesus. Paul's hope is not in them. Paul's hope is in God, who called them from darkness into his marvelous light and will continue to hold them by the hand and bring them safely to glory. And Paul has a confidence in that. He says, I'm confident of this very thing. We should commit that verse to memory if you haven't already. And these things affect our worship as we begin to see, like Saul and David, we begin to see ourselves very clearly. And if we have a spiritual pulse, if we have a new heart of flesh, a heart of faith, then we see as we go through these experiences in our lives, we can see God sovereignly pulling us again and again and again in His direction. Both directly and indirectly, 
But we can absolutely see it. That Jesus led me all the way. Jesus held me by the hand. And I want you to turn to Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is so grievously misunderstood. How many times people rush to Psalm 91 in regard to health and wellness? And there are promises of God and His faithfulness as our great physician. But Psalm 91 is a psalm of His sovereign care for you. His sovereign care for you. It is a statement in the Old Testament of John chapter 10 in the New Testament that no one is able to snatch us out of Jesus' hands. And Jesus then says, My Father who is greater than all has given them to me and no one can take them out of my Father's hands. Listen to Psalm 91 as we recognize our desperate need of so great a Savior. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is He who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or of the arrow that flies by day or the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. A thousand may fall away from the true and lively faith, but it will not come near you. If you're a child of God, God will hold you by the hand. And he who began a good work with you will complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. You will see people walking away, but it will not come near to you as a child of God. You'll only look on with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. For you have made the Lord, for you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near your tent. For he will give his angels charge concerning you, to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands. They, you do not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You will trample down. Romans 16 ends with this. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Brothers and sisters, I want you to picture something that will happen in the future. There will be the judgment. The Bible tells us that all people will be gathered at one time. The elect and the not elect the redeemed and the condemned. King David will look over and see King Saul on the other side. Peter will look over and he will see Judas on the other side. King David and Peter will fall to their knees in the awe Oh, God's majesty and holiness and salvation and faithfulness. There, but for the grace of God, go I. If I could have lost my salvation, I would have. As many as are in Christ Jesus will be there that day as well. And you will see other people who wandered from the faith. People you were in Bible studies with. People you went to church with. And they will be on the other side. And you will understand, for there but for the grace of God go I, that he who began a good work has completed it now into the day of Christ Jesus. And that would lead many to cry out, then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. But Horatius Bonar put it in a different way. Listen to it again. Horatius Bonar 
a very faithful minister, understood these things. He understood the blackness of his heart. He understood the sovereignty of God. And that if he was going to make it safely to heaven or his flock, it would be by the sovereignty of God and the faithfulness of God. I was a wandering sheep. I did not love the fold. I did not love my shepherd's voice. I would not be controlled. I was a wayward child. I did not love my home. I did not love my father's voice. I loved afar to roam. The shepherd sought his sheep. The father sought his child. They followed me or vale and hill. Even to Ziklag and Philistia for King David. And who knows where for the rest of us. Or deserts waste and wild. They found me nigh to death. Famished and faint and lone. They bound me with the bands of love. They saved this wandering one. Jesus my shepherd is. T'was he that loved my soul. T'was he that washed me in his blood. T'was he that made me whole. T'was he that sought the lost. That found the wandering sheep. T'was he that brought me to the fold. Tis he that still doth keep. I was a wandering sheep. I would not be controlled. But now I love my shepherd's voice. I love, I love the fold. I was a wayward child. I once preferred to roam. But now I love my father's voice. I love, I love his home. Every child of God comes to understand this more and more and more. And when we fail to understand it, God grants us the opportunity again and again to see the blackness of our hearts and the necessity of so faithful a Savior. What is the application from this? The application of this is to take your spiritual pulse to see whether you be in the faith. And if you are in the faith, if you have credible reason to believe that you are a child of God, to praise his holy name, that he who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Christ to Jesus. That you can see in your own life that he has, through many dangers and toils and snares, including yourself, already brought you through many concerns, and he will continue to do so. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. He will continue to do so. Bow low and worship, contemplating the perfections of our Creator, Redeemer. When we do so, it would always drive us to our knees. And it will always drive the converted to their knees. To hear the phrase that Jesus is the Good Shepherd means something very different from a sheep who tried to wander from the fold and actually saw the Wolves trying to get him. And then feels the arm of Jesus pulling him back to the fold. And recognizing the truth of what John MacArthur says, if you could lose your salvation, you would. And the child of God returns again and again, praising the Almighty and recognizing that salvation is of the Lord. He begins it. He sustains it. He brings us to glory, and then he himself receives all the glory forever and ever and ever. And he is worthy to be praised. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we do acknowledge before you our desperate need of our great Savior. And not only of our desperate need of our great Savior, but our desperate need of our faithful Savior. God, we're coming to find out the richness, the unending richness of the simple phrase, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. We pray, Holy Spirit, that You would bless us, that we might worship You in spirit and in truth. 
that rather than denying our desperate need, we would see it and be honest about it and praise your holy name for your faithfulness, even during our unfaithfulness. That we would rest in your everlasting arms. That we would not walk in anxiety, but rather in joy and gladness that these things would well up within us ceaseless praise and thanksgiving. Grant in God that we might be able to place every blessing and every affliction in this life against the backdrop of the magnitude of eternity that unfolds before us. I pray, God, that these wonderful truths of you, these perfections of you, our good God, would drive us again and again to our knees that we might be lost in wonder, love, and praise. And may it be so, God, that as we continue to find mercy at your throne of grace, that by your Spirit we ourselves might be fountains of mercy toward those around us. And in everything, that you might receive all of the glory and honor and praise. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Will you stand now to receive the blessing of God for the people of God? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, give you peace, now and forever. Amen.
You've been listening to Head, Heart, and Hands with Bob Carter. This Bible teaching has been sponsored by River City Reformed Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. Our website is rivercityreform.org. River City Reformed Church meets on Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Temple Baptist Activity Center located on the corner of 17th Street Extension and George Anderson Drive. Please visit rivercityreform.org for more information or call us at 910-520-0272. That's 910-520-0272. At River City Reform Church, we are all about loving God with our heads, hearts, and hands. We desire to know the one true God correctly. We long to love God, our Creator and Savior, passionately. We seek to worship and serve God willingly through the power of His Spirit. God wants us and you to ask good questions. He wants us to build our faith on credible evidence, not just a blind leap. Biblical Christianity is true. He also requires and strengthens us to conform our values and behavior to reflect His goodness and holiness. We're thinking, loving, serving. Come and see. John Piper has observed, worship is not the performance of a routine of hymns and prayers and preaching and anthems. When the angel said to John who had fallen at his feet, Don't do that to me, worship God. He did not mean recite a creed or open your hymnal or listen to a sermon. He meant connect with God. Focus on God, not the messenger. Concentrate on God, not the hymn tune. Pursue God, not just knowledge about God. And in all your focusing and concentrating and pursuing after God, seek to stir up your feelings to love Him and honor Him and admire Him and fear Him and enjoy Him and savor Him. At River City, we agree. And we are not limited by a particular style. Rather, we are compelled by a timeless thanksgiving, repentance, joy, and reverence. Our Sunday morning worship is in Wilmington, North Carolina. Please visit rivercityreform.org for more information. On Sunday evenings, we meet for Bible study led by our pastor, Bob Carter. This study meets at 5 p.m. All are invited. Come and see. Come and see.